Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Hello, and welcome to Growth Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. And this is one of um, today's episode is part of our Fresh Pulse series featuring Jana Parker, team lead of Circana's Fresh Foods Group, and Anna Marie Rohrink, president of 210 Analytics. I say it every episode, she is a valued Circana research partner. Welcome, ladies, to the first of the new year, 2024. Happy New Year to everybody out there in our in our first uh, episode here. Yeah. So today I want to almost take a step back and provide listeners with a fresh view of the store. Um, we are seasoned professionals. I'm not going to tally the years that we have been tracking grocery. Um, I know John is giving me a funny look, but um, <laughs> but. Think about people living in their silos. You know, we keep talking about breaking down silos, and I think that a lot of the people in our world do live within their own silos. And what I'd like to do is provide more of a fresh perspective on grocery retail, and that could happen across any different channel. I know things change quite a bit. What are some of the things that you would want to call out that people pay attention to? Because we've seen so much change, and I don't think people appreciate the change that has been occurring around them. Um, you know, we often get frustrated if our brand isn't available or we get frustrated when, you know, maybe we have to wait in line for things. But we're also wowed by small changes and those small changes can have a huge impact. I'm thinking of maybe in the deli when some of those um, lunch meats and cheeses became sliced for us and put in an in easy grab and go during the pandemic. That's a game changer. So, Anna Marie, I want to start with you. If you were to pick maybe, and I'm going to start with like a really big department, say the meat department. I think that's probably the biggest fresh sales department. Can you talk a little bit about some of the bigger changes that have been taking place or what you would encourage people to pay attention to when they think of or when they look at that department? Well, first of all, let me start off by saying that I think this is always so useful. And just this week, I was doing a candy webinar, and I actually started off with a slide that showed the size of every department around the store, you know, the major ones, whether that was frozen meat, produce, deli, dairy, what have you, um, the dollar growth and the unit growth. Now, you might wonder why in the world does the review of how to holiday uh, sales in candy had to do with that, but I will tell you, they always have great appreciation because to your point, Joan, when you're a candy manufacturer, you're going to buy the candy universe. At most, you might look at total grocery or the total store, but you have no idea if what is happening in your department is a standalone trend or if it is something that really is affected by the patterns that are happening in the total grocery world, regardless of whether you are brats in the meat department, candy corn in, in the candy department, etc. And so I think it is really important to talk about some of those major, major shifts. I'll, I'll get to meat in just a second, but 
if we look at the major shifts over time, boomers for 30 years have been the majority spenders in the grocery industry. And all of a sudden, they are no longer um, on the cusp of being no longer, depending on the department. Um, and it's rapidly shifting. Gen X is a small generation, but they're punching above their weight. Millennials are coming on strong now that they're having families. And that means for a lot of departments, you got to ride the fence. You have to still please the boomer, have that service available, have the items that they grew up with and love, specific to the meat department. I'm thinking about roasts and those kinds of items. And then you have to address the growth that is happening among those younger generations. Meat is a wonderful example, because if you think about 20 years ago, virtually every store had full service departments. That was really important to boomers. I have consumer videos where I have the little old lady saying, I would never shop in a store that doesn't have a butcher that I can talk to. Well, how often do you use them? Well, you know, a few times a year. So they fully admit that the vast majority of their purchases come from the self-service case, and yet they would never shop in a store where there isn't a butcher that she can see. And so in terms of full service, a lot has changed there. If we think about value-added items in produce and meat, everything else, heck, if you look at the explosion of everything in Delhi prepared, and that is not just, you know, the items that are available in store that grew from rotisserie chicken and fried chicken to more, but it's really that entire ready-to-oven meal or ready-to-cook meal, um, just tremendous, tremendous changes. Jana. I'm so glad you covered the generational differences because most of our food retailing, especially in fresh, is still anchored in that kind of concept. And a big conversation last year was, why aren't people reacting like they've ever reacted before? And a lot of that generational shifts are absolutely part of it. But I loved the stat we found at the end of the year, because when I when you talk about how millennials are coming online, Gen Z's are right behind them, people jump to they want to buy everything online. One of the things are, Joan, I loved our Thanksgiving report, the way it looked at Thanksgiving as a holiday from all these different factors. One of the things we found there was, of course, inflation colored 23. And as we got into the Thanksgiving season, people were looking to ensure they didn't overspend. And so they were going to shop around for staple deals. But the insight that I took away from that, because I've studied that holiday for a long time, it was actually consumers under age 34 who were most likely to comparison shop for Thanksgiving staples, but they were going to do it online. And that right there was that they were doing a behavior that the generations before them had done. We all want to save more money, right? We all, especially if we're going to have a lot of people over and we know it's going to be a high basket ring, we really want to save money. So it's not that the behavior of younger consumers is inherently different motivators than they've been in the past. When you break it down to human motivations when they're at the grocery store or at the food store, the problem is, or I shouldn't say the problem, the opportunity, as I see it, is we have so many more choices and so many more ways to interact with those folks. And I think the big sea change in this, you know, I call a lot of my talks lately shoppers shifting priorities because the actual priority to save money, use all the food they buy so they're not wasting, to have food and beverages that please themselves and when they're having people over others are the same motivations that are all ages of humans. The difference is if you're under the age of 40, 
the world you've grown up in is so much bigger than the grocery store and their weekly circular ad. And even the way you find out what's a deal, not just on food and beverage, but on anything in your life, has been always in this open omni-market, digital and brick and mortar interactive environment. And so the fact that we've been able to not have to rationalize that in the grocery industry, especially in fresh, right, where it's not as manufacturer driven, it's a little bit more about commodities and price points, the way we've competed, it's really showing up in the data. And the measure that I keep looking at, dollars, and I do the same thing, Anna Marie, no matter what I'm talking about, I always show where that department or that category stacks up in relation to other foods and beverage or even just within fresh. And nine times out of 10, I end up getting questions about whatever they're not involved in, and they're shocked about some department, like bakery had one of the highest increases as a department in price in the last four years, and yet is outperforming trends that are seen across total food and bev. And so then folks who don't play in the bakery department ask, how can that be? But the price is so high. And I talk again about relevance. Right. And I think that's what's emerged. There was work we did with FMI last year that is about the relevance and the experience are new dimension, not new dimensions. They're important dimensions of value. And for a younger consumer, having a store that maybe isn't, to your point, the widest variety of butcher meat and every single SKU they could ever dream of in the meat department, maybe they just have the SKUs they need in a way that is relevant to them and at a price point that's palatable. That kind of relevance is starting to see where channel shifting is happening. And I think that's going to be the important thing to rationalize is not have everything for everyone all the time. Really focus on what your shoppers want and need. So that's you. You've already kind of um, expanded my eyes a little bit by here. I am thinking of like in the store and you immediately, Jana said, no, no, no. It starts way before you get to the store which is a huge shift, you know, that that even if you're still shopping in the store, you're doing more of your homework ahead of showing up in the store. So I think that that is super relevant. But I also want to go right back into the store and maybe pick up in that bakery department that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. where um, the prices are, you know, the price increases are so much higher, and yet it's so much more relevant. And, and when I'm thinking of big observations, for in-store bakery in particular, it might be around, you know, we've moved from like sheet cakes to super fancy cupcakes to accommodate all the tiny little celebrations that you guys have been have been talking about throughout the year. You know, it's like the small little wins, the rewards, the gifts. Um, so talk about that because I think in the bakery arena, that's a huge shift that people should take note of. I think the interesting thing of that, and I'll lump Delhi in here because what I'd say both of those departments, which by the way, in the last three years have made multiple share point increases in their dollar impact to the total store, to the total food and beverage, and to fresh. Both of those departments, and yes, it's dollars, we know inflation colors, but when you look at the unit trends, they're holding their own. And further, bakery and deli have seen, especially deli, an uptick in frequency. And so those departments, it by the way, not every retailer, even in every channel, is experiencing that same national trend that we see with buoyancy in frequency and units 
at least not declining as much, if not even growing. And part of that is because some retailers, even in the super, even in channels that aren't seeing that trend, have taken those departments to be all about two things at the end of the day. It's a million little decisions that add up to two situations where they're incredibly relevant. One is the everyday and the everyday escape or the everyday ease or the everyday need, as I call it. Some of our recent work in consumption data was, now I'm going to say this, I'm going to go, duh, duh, but it's fun when data actually proves this out, right? Is that what people do Monday through Thursday is very different food and beverage wise. And I'm talking about what they put at home, what they eat at home is very different than Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there's this everyday need. And what deli and bakery started to become in a million little ways, your sheet cake to smaller, right? Your um, celebrations. We've talked a lot about using seasons and holidays differently. We've I've talked to retailers who've been successful about how they move bakery and deli all over the store to interrupt carts that didn't, you know, that won't walk through the departments. But it's all centered on do we have solutions for that every day where someone ran in and they're buying milk, butter, eggs, and bread, which by the way are still the most frequently bought items by the most people. A lot of produce categories are up there too, by the way. But if they're in for those items hey, I didn't realize we have a new enchilada. We've got pulled rotisserie chicken. We've got these really cute, fun cake things. You know, some of the most successful retailers in bakery and deli, actually, if we were to look at a picture of their items, we'd think they're ugly. But in the store, connected to everything else that they have to offer that consumer, they're incredibly relevant. And I bring up in the bakery department, we saw tremendous growth in prepackaged donuts that were honestly just designed for something you could open, take a little bite of, and put back. A trend is tale as old as time, but this one retailer who started that trend literally took a clamshell and had 12 donuts, and they were good for two weeks. That's the kind of trend that busted through, right? And because people needed quick snacking ideas that didn't go bad right away and still surprised and delighted them. On the occasion side, which one more fact that I've been using a lot, is our consumption pattern, eating patterns in America data has shown that there's actually the average U.S. household has 18, I'll quote special, I'm putting air quotes up, 18 occasions a year where they are thinking about entertaining with foods and beverages. And so while we've always nailed the Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter holidays, Super Bowl, obviously, 18 occasions a year has such infinite opportunity. And I think about some delis where you can buy components to a charcuterie board. You can have a pre-made charcuterie board. We've seen some smaller format, low service retailers have options for charcuterie boards enabled by a QR code. That mentions, they recognize that someone needs an occasion solution that's different from their everyday solution. I think it's that real behavior on these quick trips we know people are taking that gets people to stop and think about departments like deli and bakery. So let's talk a little bit about that traffic. Um, because you just mentioned a couple things. Okay, the everyday, you know, maybe something in the deli that gets you lunch or gets you a dinner solution. Um, it might be some of those things like the purchases, even of like the little donuts. You don't have to purchase those every day. So is there um, a shift in different departments trying to up traffic? Because that's pretty critical, the traffic piece. So Anna Marie, Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's really the number one thing we know when we get people in the store. Typically, we all walk out with more than we had planned to come in for, whether that's the gallon of milk or or the bread that we meant to refill. We always walk out $30 later, right? So getting the trips into the store is always important. So certainly there's the everyday opportunities. But I think what I've really seen retailers focus on in the last couple of years is the idea that people are willing to open their wallets up a little bit further if it is a special occasion or doing something nice for themselves or others. Um, Celebrations, entertaining. Jana, you mentioned that one. And if we think about how health and well-being has evolved from physical health to really very much that happiness and emotional well-being components as well, I think it's important to to merchandise against that whole idea of doing something nice for yourself. And that is exactly where some of those little bakery treats come in, where you only spend a dollar or a dollar fifty on a special donut or even a beautiful cupcake. But there's also some of that fluidity that is happening where, um, to your point, Jana, there used to be a lot of focus on the handful of what we would call primary holidays in, in around the store. But with the really multicultural development in the younger generations, you see that consumers are interested in celebrating Chinese New Year or Diwali or Day of the Dead, et cetera. And that is not just in areas like candy, et cetera. Those really become opportunities where the bakery becomes heavily involved. Maybe uh, the meat department, the deli department, by serving dishes that are relevant to that particular holiday. And, you know, really relative to those younger generations, we see that snacking behavior. We see the fluidity where maybe Halloween is not always the classic candy aisle purchase, but maybe there is some intermingling of some snack options that are available there. So I'm, you know, taking advantage of all the developments and marshmallows and Rice Krispies and those kinds of things. So I think retailers more than ever before have an opportunity to wow consumers and get a reaction out of them. And that really comes down to the cross merchandising stations, breaking down those silos into departments. We know, for instance, that seafood has an issue with not getting enough people to come into the seafood department. Well, are you going to change that behavior or are you going to change your behavior and bring seafood out of the seafood department, be that sushi, poke bowls, secondary displays? Um, You know, if you have a grilling set with all your burgers and steaks and what have you, well, maybe you ought to have some salmon and, and shrimp kebabs in there as well. So it's really I would say I've seen a growing willingness of retailers to say, it's more likely that we change our behavior than that the the consumer is going to shop the store the way we want to. So, and that I think is is a great development. Love it. I really think I, I said in our pre-call that I keep saying 24, 25, and 26 will be an inflection point. Yes, this is now my, I'm into my third decade, just started my third decade of working on Fresh. Um, it was my 20 year anniversary last year, as we talked about. But to your point, Anne-Marie, I think why it's an inflection point is the conversations have pivoted from how do we get people, you know, you and I both know the questions were a lot for the last two years over. When are we going back to 2019? And obviously, as we rounded out 2023 and we were able to do four or five full years of history, we have slides that talk about there's pre-pandemic, 
height of pandemic, which obviously had different impacts in different ways. And then there's what we're calling the age of inflation, which has been really what's colored the stories of 22 and 23. If you just think about that and all the stuff we've already talked about, how different we are as a society, age, generation, behavior, opportunity, you know, channels that compete, why would we, there is no going back. And I really feel like the conversations this year, next year are with the companies in retail and supplying or manufacturing community who go, what's this new normal and where is my relevance in it? And, you know, we haven't talked yet about produce. And when we talk about foot traffic, I talked a lot last year, even in meat, even in meat and deli conversations about how in this foot traffic world where we know that consumers are making more trips, more smaller trips to more stores than they ever have, more types of stores. We've talked on this podcast about how now that might mean that you have five stores that are in your area that you shop, but for the first time ever, that could be a small format specialty store, like a Trader Joe's. It could be a Walmart. It could also be a traditional supermarket. It could be a club store like Costco. That kind of multi-channel five-store splitting your trips so you don't spend that much in each store and to buy what you've determined for you is the best thing at that store for your household. In that new reality where foot traffic has gone up in total, some departments like meat and seafood, I'm looking at five-year trends on my other screen here, the trips even in this broader trip traffic environment are holding steady to slightly down. And the standouts in that is produce. Since 2020, and now granted, I'm looking at 20, 52 weeks ending January 2020, so I should say in 2019. In 2019, the produce department saw an average per household 71 trips a year. We're now getting 76. That's five more trips a year per U.S. household in five years. And produce has 12 of the top 20 most frequently bought by the widest audience categories in the entire store. And yet, you know, we talked so much about delis as solution centers, bakeries as cart interrupting occasions, the meat department, you know, rationalizing these value add sections and quick cooking sections. Produce still looks pretty much the same and is merchandised very similarly the same across all retailers and is getting five more trips to buy something a year. So the conversations that I'm really excited about in the future of produce are the retailer as solution, not the retailer as stalls and stands of different commodities. So an example is some work we've been doing with a national grocer who's ahead of the curve, several of them are, but he's ahead of the curve about making it closer for the consumer who wants the less involved meal, either for one or for many, how do they make sure that those options also include some produce options? What we found, though, is as the group that was working on that really were able to break down walls and create solutions that were not bound by the traditional categories and departments, those solutions did inevitably end up looking a lot like things that were already in the produce department, because most retailers are creating task forces that are separate to ideate, price, promote, and assort that type of solution item. But then we actually did some work in the cut veg space and looked at commodity side dish veg versus the cut veg in the produce department. By the way, they were thinking about it as packaged, branded versus cut in store. And then there's now this fourth section for the ready to heat. And what we said was, is it all makes sense why you got to this point, Mr. Retailer and Mr. Supplier, on why this is here and that is there and this is that. Totally know why that is. But Dan Marie's point, the opportunity is, as a shopper, and I happen to live by one of their test stores, 
I went in and kind of just videoed myself and was like, if I want Brussels sprouts, I'm going to buy the Brussels sprouts. I'm not, I don't know you have them in all these sections. I just know I really want a Brussels sprouts. So it's that kind of retailer pivoting and thinking about themselves as an occasion, a situation. And if I have the options, because I argue that a lot of retailers today are putting out some amazing assortment of options, but are we actually making it hard for the consumer to find them? And are we rationalizing when inevitably somebody encounters that same situation at totally different parts of the store? And I do think that's going to be the year where the retailers who get that are going to figure it out. Because what we determined in all of our data was each of those spaces, commodity, packaged cut veg, in-store cut veg that had an overwrap, and then their new kind of meal solution areas had slightly different consumers on slightly different minds. But until we stepped back and proved that out, they didn't realize they were carrying Brussels sprouts in all four sections. So I think that's a good example of the future way to think about the retailer as I'm carrying this not because it's what's the top selling thing in this department, but I'm going to win the trips. And in that case, we actually talked about in that very highly visible front of store solution centers, hey, are you looking for whole Brussels sprouts? We have the best at a local farm, little sign that then brings someone into the produce department. Could we then direct people to or to meet, which is seeing less trips? Using the store the way a consumer uses the store, which is to solve a meal need that they have for that evening. So I want to get into that a little bit more because you talked about, you know, some of these solutions or you know, spread across the store, not really making sense to the shopper. And Anna Marie has talked before even about the frozen department and how there are fewer trips to frozen. So how do you reconcile any manufacturer, any commodity being part of that solution or that decision when it's being made? How can any of your clients, any of your customers, um, you know, have a seat at the table as these decisions are being made. Years ago, I took my marketing share group, which is a group of retailers where the marketing CMOs get together. They talk, they don't geographically compete, so they can share a lot of stories. And we were in Las Vegas and we invited the marketer for all the MGM brand hotels, which is all the big ones on the Vegas trips. And we talked to her and said, how in the world do you do marketing with such a just information overload, sensory overload at once she hit Las Vegas. And she said something that I will never forget. And that was we try to lock in as much of the dollar before anybody just sets foot in Las Vegas. The minute you have booked that trip to come into the city, we give you a gambling credit so that you come to our casino we show you all the shows that are playing in our hotel so that you don't go anywhere else and that is a lesson that i think a lot of retailers are trying to live today um, some categories by nature seafood is a good example um, are planned categories others are very much highly impulsed fruit is one of them um, but how can you leverage all that engagement that you have outside the store, the pre-tailing, I call it, on social media, on the apps, on all these different things to connect what is happening outside the store with a purchase in the store or online? 
And that's really where some of those influencers come in, where tying social media inspiration to an ability to click and add the items to the cart. That's where an in-store cross-merchandising display tends to break down that, well, I didn't know what I was going to have for dinner, but, you know, I'll pick this up for tonight and I'll divert whatever I had planned for tomorrow. So I would say lesson number one is lock in as much of that dollar as you can before you even uh, get that shopper into your store. So make the produce or the seafood be your headliner if you're if you're MGM. I kind of yeah. like that. And, you know, that almost ties back again to Jenna's first point about it starts before you get to the store. One of the biggest parts that we have to mention on this is when we did an analysis on how different supermarkets, right? We've been seeing the, the channel shifting and fresh now. You know, there was a slight bump about grocery stores and traditional grocery formats in that first era of 2020 when folks didn't want to go to the larger or even smaller footprint stores where they couldn't get everything. That was a comfort that had entirely to do with COVID that actually waned. And by the beginning of 21, traditional supermarkets, who are all things to all people all of the time, had started to seed that share that fast. And really, as we looked across traditional grocers, national and regional, they all kind of stood for the same things. I remember we looked at five different retailers in the same market and what their ads were for that week, which has historically, whether it's online or in store, a grocer's main way to say to the community, this is who I am, is their weekly ad. Again, online or in store is arbitrary. But as we looked across that, especially in meat and produce, those five retailers in that market were advertising almost the identical cuts and kinds in those departments. And then everyone listening to Susan Fresh knows why. Probably a really good market that week or they'd already planned that sale a year before and now they were lapping it. So this was the you know week we put pork chops and cucumbers and tomatoes on the vine on sales. So we're going to do it again. And at that time, all five were not only merch or I should say so if you were truly a consumer who was comparison shopping for tomatoes and pork chops and cucumbers, you had that as your one decision maker to define the different retailers. But the reality of what we also found out is almost all of them had maybe different colors, different types of slightly different wording. But almost every single one of them front of that page ad said, I'm Mr. Retailer and I stand for freshness. When we're all just competing with the same items on price only and freshness, all of a sudden channels that aren't traditional supermarkets where you know, I'm going to check some names here that I shop because they stand for different things to me, not because the data says it. Aldi, I know exactly what to expect now. By the way, Aldi's changed for a lot of consumers what to expect, but I know what to expect. I'm not expecting full assortment or every brand I could ever want, but I know what to expect when I know I'm shopping at Aldi. Costco has become so much more than a club store, whereas Sam's Club is now a completely differentiated you know, club store, even though they're both buy-in-bulk club stores. Walmart, for lack of a better pretense, had made a decision many years ago to not just stand for lowest prices, but also about quality and the convenience of having everything in one place to order from. They stand for something. And I'm not here to say one's position is better. Trader Joe's is another example. No consumer now in their right mind, by the way, Trader Joe's wins every year in the consumer's favorite stores category in surveys. But no one expects Trader Joe's to have everything they could ever want. They are expecting things. And I actually think Trader Joe's is a tremendous opportunity in produce and meat. Where I'm going with this is 
and I'm going to quote Anne-Marie and I'm going to butcher it. So please correct him about to say that you said when we were at breakfast recently. If you sit in the middle of the road, you're basically going to become roadkill. And I think that this is the inflection point where traditional grocers, whether they end up being megalith giants because they've combined or they end up being local regionals like the members of your share group. What do you stand for? Because standing for freshness and best prices on that week's meat and produce is not doing it anymore. And that rationalization isn't as simple as a new logo or maybe hiring a new ad agency. It's really about standing for what solution and idea when someone says, I'm going to go to Trader Joe's, what do they expect? And I do think, well, I'm not here to say everyone should go into niche. If you are going to be a traditional grocer and you now are part of other traditional grocers in the same market, are you a higher end for the foodie and somebody who has time and occasions? Are you somebody about homegrown value, right? And, and you're eating more to that traditional baby boomer. That's the question. You know, it's such a good point. And, and therefore, at times I cringe a little bit when I see all the implementation of automated reordering and replenishment systems, because the one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of those systems are going to look at two things, velocity and sales, which means your ground beef and your chicken breast, et cetera, are always going to pop up as must have, maximize space, blah, blah, blah. But it is really those differentiated items that sometimes make you to draw for a foodie and they're not big sellers, but it's you're the only store that carries it or you're known for it. So those are the kinds of things to always keep in mind. How are you known not just for your sales points that particular week, but uh, how are you known in terms of your quality of freshness, your service, your assortment, your private label um, offering all these different things and, and really Joan, to your point, it ties back to what happens in the store has everything to do with what happens outside the four walls as well. One last funny point. I talked about this a lot, probably on this podcast and other places. Several years ago, I love pecan coffee cake. Sounds like an easy thing to find. It's actually not that simple. Pecan danishes are very popular at bakeries, but not in my Phoenix market at the time at grocers club or super centers. And so there was a, an online grocer, it was actually Amazon Fresh, that I discovered had a pecan coffee cake. And I was like, this is awesome. It's my favorite thing to order. I actually started buying more groceries for them because of that coffee cake. Now, that was an extreme case, but it proves Anne-Marie's point. We all carry the same categories. The berries category is now everywhere. Sushi is now at 99% of our multi-outlet plus distribution points. So just having it isn't your point of differentiate anymore. If you're a retailer who is trading on, you know, better quality than the big box stores, how does that play out in your sushi or your coffee cakes or your meat cuts? If you're a retailer, you know, we've recently talked to Hy-Vee and they've actually found that they do a tremendous job in rotisserie chickens at their small footprint gas stations. So they've actually now started to call their gas stations their small formats, right? It's because people sometimes don't want to walk through all of the high V. They just want to get a few key items to fill in that week's meal or that just-in-time dinner. That's a great example of today's shopper and standing for something that is different than anyone else. This has been so interesting. Um, and again, it, you've opened my, my eyes. Um, I think that even though I was looking at the outside of like what's changed, 
it is constantly evolving. But to Jana's point, we're at a major inflection point. And for any retailer, any brand, it's time to kind of fight through the noise and don't be middle of the road because I just choose to say you'll get run over. You know, roadkill is not a good visual for me. But um, so it is. It's like, what do you stand for? You can't stand just for freshness or the lowest prices. Um, That's not going to elevate your brand. But for anyone, I just want to encourage any listener. We're all consumers. We are all consumers. Notice how in your own behavior things have changed. Notice how are you opening up your wallet a little bit wider for those small indulgences where that really wasn't part of your behavior years ago. Um, I just I think it's just curious. It's almost like an anthropological study of how we've changed and how we're forcing change. But of course, I am encouraging everyone to be part of the change. So with that, I want to thank you for your time. And I will talk to you both next month. All right. See you then, Joan. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Zirconic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Zirconic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.